figured if I was going to get up to bat during the sermon, it might as well be to Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones' batting song, right? So, uh, hey, uh, I want to start talking about three men. And uh, we're in our hardball series, and today's message has a little bit of tough love in it. So the first man we'll call Milkshake Man. You may have heard this story, actually. It's uh, sort of circulated around the community. But at at Chick-fil-A on Highway 31, uh, just up the road in Vestavia Hills several months ago, a man came up to the drive-thru, and he, uh, he, he went to order, and as he was ordering in the drive-thru, he told a couple of the attendants, he asked them a question. He said, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the attendants at Chick-fil-A said, said yes, and they were uh, polite to him, as they always are. And he made his order and went up to the window, and they said, sir, your order's not quite ready. Could you pull up just a couple of spaces? You know, that happens sometimes. And, and then a minute later, the runner uh, ran the order up to his car. And uh, he noticed that when the runner gave him his order, that his milkshake wasn't the right flavor. And so he, he, he told the runner, hey, my milkshake's the wrong flavor. And, and this uh, teenage girl uh, says, well, if you'll pull up in that parking space, it'll take just a couple of minutes, but I'll run inside and we'll get you the right flavor. And with that suggestion, he threw the milkshake at her and hastily left the parking lot. And I'm wondering today, what kind of faith he has. The second man I'll tell you about is a man I've, I've seen at the gym a couple times. And uh, uh, one time I saw him, he was wearing a shirt that was pretty cool. It said, love above everything. You know, graphically appropriate and everything. It was a, it was a great shirt, love above everything. I've also seen him in gym shorts that say, four-letter word, the police. And I wonder what kind of faith this young man has. There's another man, we'll call him Facebook man. Facebook man has a a picture right at the top of his page that says, uh, exercise daily, walk with Jesus. And then if you scroll down just a little bit, you'll find these words next to the picture of a prominent politician. One of the most ignorant, unqualified, misleading, uninformed, vile excuses for a politician in the history of the United States. And I wonder what kind of faith this man had. You know, I was growing up, my my dad was a salesman, and I was also fascinated by what it means to be a salesman. And sometimes when he would go out on a trip or a call or or a road trip, I'd be like, Dad, you know, good luck. Hope it goes well. And and I remember his response to me often was this. Oh, son, it's easy. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Well, today we're going to look at the relationship between three things. We're going to look at the relationship between talk Our talk, between our walk, between our faith. What kind of faith do we have? Hey, good morning. My name is Ben Cathy. I'm the executive pastor. I have the incredible privilege of sharing the message this morning. I am a native of Atlanta and was a Chipper Jones fan before you were. Hey, we are in the middle of a series called Hardball, Tough Love from the book of James. Today, we're going to look at James chapter 2. And before we move forward, I just want to invite you to find somebody close to you, either give them a punch or a high five and say, you are awesome. (laughs) 
So let's start with this verse in James chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, and that was probably the person you just said hello to, right? What good is it, dear brothers or sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? If you say you, if you claim you have faith, if you represent that you have faith, if your talk says that you have faith, but don't show it, but don't show it, but don't walk it, does that kind of faith save anyone? Well, let's talk about faith this morning. But before we get there, let's talk about talk a little bit. You see, the folks in James, that the folks that James was writing to, he was writing to all of the tribes scattered. He was the, the pastor of the, the church in Jerusalem, but he was writing to all of the followers of Jesus. And these were people who had already decided to follow Jesus. See, when James wrote, he was not questioning their faith. He was challenging the actions of their faith. And, and these followers of Jesus had words. They had talk that they knew, that, that, that they lived by, that they had responded to, that they were following. And this, this talk that they lived by already was, was, was world-altering. It was, it was revolutionary. It was, it was not paradigm shifting, it was paradigm shattering because they had the, the gospel of Christ and they had the words of Jesus and they had decided. See, the gospel of Jesus is so beautiful. And if you're um, maybe new to the faith and you're like, what is the gospel of Jesus? It, it boils down to this, Jesus, God's son, born of a virgin, uh, taught, lived upon the earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, was sacrificed on the cross for our benefit, is risen again and lives so that we might experience eternal life with him. And in him we find that all of our sins are forgiven, that death and destruction goes away, and that abundant life in this world and eternal life in the next world is ours. That's the gospel of Jesus. And so these followers had that. They lived by it. But they also lived with the precious words of Jesus found in Scripture. They already had them. So you see, uh, when James wrote um, to these followers, uh, Jesus had already spoken. And so they had the words of Jesus to lean into. And uh, they're, again, life-altering. I want to share some from the book of James and then from Matthew. I'm sorry, from John. John says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and then in chapter 316, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And then in John, we also find that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. I'm the light of the world. 
If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Linda Crump shared that verse at Kickstart this morning, I believe. We also found these precious words of Jesus in John 10. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He tells us, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. And then in Matthew, Jesus shares this amazing sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, but in it we find words like this. Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor. God blesses those who mourn, who hunger, who are merciful, whose hearts are pure, who work for peace, who are persecuted for doing right. He says, you. He looks at the people he's speaking to. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise their Father in heaven. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This was radical. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the evil person, but turn the other cheek. He says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that has been taught. What precious words to live by. Finally, he says this, not finally, but for me, finally today. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. And follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. This is the talk of followers of Jesus Christ. These are the words of Jesus that we are called to and challenged to live by. And they are absolutely beautiful. But James tells us it's not enough just to know these words. It's not enough just to say that we believe in these words. It's not enough just to declare that these words are beautiful. James says we have to do something about it. He says that our walk must match our talk. That we have to do something about our talk. So let's talk about our walk a little bit. Next verse in James chapter 2, James 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. That's nice talk, isn't it? But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Those are pretty hard words, aren't they? Dead, not breathing, no life, no pulse. Useless, ineffective, non-functioning, 
unsustainable, dead, and useless. You see, again, James is not questioning whether or not these followers had faith. In fact, unlike Paul, who, who writes hoping um, that some not-yet-believers will cross the line of faith, James is assuming that the people he's writing to are people of faith. And, and he, he, he challenges them. He's asking if that faith is dead or alive. He's asking if what the people say that faith is equals what they do about it and what they show about it. James' point here is not that works are added to faith. His point is that faith has to include works. Faith includes action. Faith includes deeds. You see, we're not saved by our walk. We're saved for the walk that God has planned for us. And so it begs the question, it's our central question this morning, actually. It's, it's this one. What are you going to do about Jesus? Now, sometimes we like to listen to messages and we like to think about everybody else in the world. Do you? <laughs> I'm preaching to myself today, by the way. And so I'd ask you to consider not your neighbor. Not your friend, not a person you know from another state, another world. I'd like to ask you, Senator, what are you going to do about Jesus? Well, we have these, these, these precious words of Jesus that we follow. And, and here at Mountaintop Church, we, we have some, some ways that we try, to, we try to capture that. And we try to, to, to sort of rally or energize our, our folks to, to take steps of faith and, and, and follow Jesus, to take that next step. And one of those things you're very familiar with. In fact, we have some great new t-shirts. I see some. So good job for wearing your four Birmingham t-shirts this morning, guys. But at the end of, of worship, and we'll, we'll do it today, we say, God is for you. We are for you. Let's be, what? For Birmingham. And, and it's like our, our, our rallying cry a little bit. It's, it's almost like Mountaintop Church has a War Eagle roll tide or go docks for Birmingham. Let's go. It, it means let's, let's get out of our own world. Let's get out of our own self. Let's stop asking, God, what are you doing for me? Let's say, God, what can you do through me? It asks questions about not what am I receiving on campus, but what can I give off campus? It asks questions not about me and my family, but about my neighbor and how can I extend the love of God wherever I go and wherever I am, both with church people and not with church people, wherever I am. Let's be for Birmingham. Let's all live in such a way that when people talk about God, they go, you know, God seems to be doing something at that church called Mountaintop. Well, we have some other words that we've tried to say, okay, here are the things that a follower of Jesus does in their lifetime. And we call these the marks of a follower of Jesus. And, and maybe this is the first time you've heard of these. They're, they're simple and profound at the same time. And we've identified seven of them, and, and here they are. We, we've invited followers. A follower of Jesus is one who loves radically, worships passionately, engages Scripture, 
prays fervently, serves joyfully, gives generously, and makes disciples. Did you get your self-assessment on the way in? I want to ask us to take just a moment, and I want to ask you to do a quick self-assessment. I'm not going to over-define these words. They're pretty self-explanatory, and I want to invite you to take that. On one side is strike out. That's one. On the other side is own base. That's ten. All right? So we're going to take one minute. We're going to have a little music to go with it. Go. Self-assessment time. pop quizzes in the middle of worship, they can't last more than a minute, okay? When we reflect upon these things and how we're responding to these marks of a follower of Jesus, it brings us back to that question. What are you going to do about Jesus? And so we're going to ask you, how'd you do? Don't tell me. It, it, was, it, was it a little on the lower end or a little on the higher end? Or did you just give up right from the start? You're like, that's not me, right? Well, let, let me say this. If, if, if you got a really high score, that's good. We're thankful for that. You, you've been following Jesus faithfully. You're probably digging into several of these areas in your life. And uh, I, I just want to say to you, don't get comfortable don't, don't get arrogant. Don't start thinking I'm better than other people. That happens to people who have been following Jesus for a long time sometimes. We start thinking, I got this. Whew, the second we think this and we don't say, God, you have this, that's when the decline starts. And also this, stay humble. Stay open to God. What if you got a really low score? What if you just thought, man, I'm not even going to take this test because I'm going to get like a two on everything. I'd say to you, no one had a high score when they started following Jesus. Nobody. And I would say to you this, when Jesus approached the very first disciples, he didn't say, hey, guys, I got an assessment for you. Will you take this first? What he said was, follow me. Follow me, and I will show you. Follow me. So the point really isn't whether we scored high or low on that assessment. The point is this, that we considered what we are going to do about Jesus, that we are considering what our next step is, that we are considering where God is calling. Well, over the years, 
I have heard lots of excuses about following Jesus. And I, I just want to share a few of those with you, and, and maybe you can relate. I've, I've heard this one. Well, I've never really been involved in church. I don't know very much about the Bible. I've heard that one. I've heard, if you knew my past, pastor. I've heard I'm too poor. I have heard I'm too rich. I literally had one person tell me in a small group setting, my husband makes too much money for us to tithe. She said that out loud. And I said, thank you for the preaching material for the rest of my life. Uh, see, she totaled up what that number would be. And she's like, oh, can't, that won't work. I've heard this excuse. I'm retired. I've done my part. It's time for somebody else to serve. I've heard I'm in school when I graduate. I've heard travel ball, lake house, beach house. I've heard remodeling my house. I've even heard we are putting new sod out. <laughs> I've actually heard, and we have to finish our Christmas shopping. I've heard I'm a recovering addict. I've heard I'm a teenager. I'm a mom. I'm divorced. I've heard so many excuses. Yet James, James tells the people who claim to live by those precious words of Jesus. He tells them, to walk the talk. He doesn't give a qualifier. He just says, period, walk the talk. He doesn't say only if you've really been involved in church, if you know a whole lot about the Bible, if you don't have a past, if you're neither rich nor poor, if you're not retired, if you're not in school, if there's no travel ball, if there's no lake house, beach house, no remodeling, no sod, and no Christmas shopping, no recovering addiction, no teenager, and no mom. That's not what he says. Because that doesn't leave very many people in this room, does it? He just says, show your faith by your actions. So let's talk about faith. Our talk, our walk, and our faith. The state of faith in America is not in a good place right now. I could throw out a lot of numbers. I'm just going to throw out two. One is within the last couple of weeks, uh, Gallup surveyed that uh, we are in an all-time low of people who believe in God. 81%. Meaning almost one in five people we would pass on the street every day do not believe that there is a loving, benevolent creator God. The second number I'll tell you is that only 6% of churches in America report that they are actually growing. 94% are either declining or plateaued. Folks, did you know that you're a part of a 6% church? Did you know that you're part of a church that... Um, 
isn't satisfied with the plateau, that isn't satisfied with doing the same things that we did yesterday because we did them yesterday, but is constantly seeking new ways to walk the faith in our world, in our culture, in our city, so that we can say God is for you. Well, when we talk about faith, this is a, it's a little tough to look at this part. You see, when there's no walk, a couple things happen. When there's no walk, talk is cheap. When there's no walk, there's cheap talk. And when there's no walk, there's dead faith. And James ties these two things together. You see, it appears that the biggest reason for the bad reputation of faith in America is not Jesus. It's Milkshake Man, Jim Shorts Man, and Facebook Man. No walk. No walk actually. This is tough love, y'all. No walk actually diminishes the precious words of Jesus and diminishes what the gospel means for our world. You see, if I come back to that John, <laughs> that John 3.16 verse, if I'm to say, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, and there's no walk to go with that, then a culture that is far from God looks at that and says, so what? So what? And, and no walk deadens the faith. It, likewise, Right? Not breathing, no life, no pulse, ineffective, non-functioning, unsustainable. Where church is just like groundhog holiday day over and over and over again. No risk, no boldness, no passion, no change, no unity. No radical love, no passionate worship, no fervent prayers. Just talk. Just talk. It doesn't match. Our walk. Is that you? Because that's me. Sometimes my walk doesn't match my talk. But it doesn't mean <laughs> that God isn't always challenging me, always calling me, always seeking me, always pushing me forward in faith. See, James asked the question, can that kind of faith save anyone? God can save anybody he wants, but the answer to that question is probably not. Not me, not you, not my neighbor, not the next generation, not Birmingham, not the world. That kind of faith. Can that kind of faith save anyone? It's a rhetorical question. Uh-uh. But we're not going to end there because this is ultimately a book of good news. The life and the death and resurrection of Jesus ultimately is good news. So there's another story to tell. 
Because here, when I have godly walk, two things happen. I have valuable talk and an alive faith. Valuable talk and alive faith. See, the words of Jesus become valuable to the people around me when my walk matches my talk. They consider the claims of Christ. They consider that God might love them. When my walk matches my talk. I have an alive faith. And do you know living things grow? I grow personally. My relationships grow. The church I'm part of grows. You see, see, the church is God's plan A for the world. It's not government. It's not politicians. It's not laws. It's not flags. It's not civic organizations. It's not the market or marketing It's not education, technology, science, philosophy, or medicine. The church is God's plan A for the world. You and me are the church. Well, follower of Jesus, what are you going to do about Jesus. James ends uh, chapter 2 by lifting up two examples of faith. And and, and he lifts up uh, two people who couldn't be further apart. He lifts up Abraham. He would have scored really high on the test. And he lifts up Rahab. She probably would have scored really low on the test. See, Abraham was the father of the faith. Father Abraham had seven sons, you know. Anybody remember that one? Nobody. Uh, Abraham was the center of the community. He was the leader. He was revered. He was followed. People were proud to say, Abraham. God was literally called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over and over and over again in the Old Testament. That was Abraham. And then on the other side was Rahab, a Canaanite. A sworn enemy of Israel, or at least part of that country. She lived on the edges of society. She was in the underbelly of society. She was a prostitute. She was used by society. She was not proud. Yet, James lives up Abraham and Rahab as equals because of their faith, because of the way they walked before the Lord. God doesn't care. God does care. But your past does not disqualify you. It is Jesus and the future you have with him that qualifies you to follow and to make a difference in this world. James 2.26, very last verse of this chapter. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Boy, that sums it up, doesn't it? In my training as a, as a pastor, I had to do clinical hours in a hospital where I went from room to room and visited. And let me tell you something, you never know what's on the other side of a door in a hospital. And I went around with Sister Laura. And by the way, Sister Laura had decided she wasn't going to take the elevator in a 10-story hospital. She she ran this young pastor ragged. But in one of those visits, we walk into 
the room of a man I'll call Fred. And, and we walked in, and Fred was unresponsive. Fred uh, just was laying there. I, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, no. I couldn't tell he was breathing. But Sister Laura had done this before, and she walks in, and she goes, Fred! And then, and then she gets a little louder. Fred! <laughs> Sorry, not too loud there. And she, 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 and then he doesn't respond. And then she walks over to the bed and she grabs him by his shoulders. And I step back. I'm like, oh, this is scary. She begins to shake his shoulders. She's like, Fred! And then she even reached over and slaps his cheek. Fred! Like that. And this lasted what felt like an eternity, probably only 20 or 30 seconds until finally Fred blinks his eyes. And Fred, Fred goes, groggy, but he goes, hey, Sister Laura. He recognized her. And she says, Fred, were you going home? Were you going home to be with Jesus? And Fred said, I was, Sister Laura. <laughs> and then he says the words I'll never forget. He said, but I guess God still has something else for me to do. As long as we have breath, God has something else for us to do. What are you going to do about Jesus? Let's pray. God, wherever we come from, God, whatever our excuse might be, God, whatever the score on our assessment, Lord, God, we know that uh, you have a calling for our life, God. And God, I just pray that um, we would be able to, to do something about you. God, that we would be able to, to do something, God. And God, help us. God, help our walk, match our talk, and God, help our, our faith be a light to the world around us. And God, I pray over us as a church, Lord, that together our walk would match our talk and that together we might be a light to the world around us so that for Birmingham is not just on our t-shirts or on our tongue, but it's in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray.